know, I was thinking this week about something uh, my dad used to tell me growing up. Uh, he used to say to choose your friends carefully, uh, right? Because uh, have you ever heard the saying that uh, you are who you hang out with or something along those lines, you know? It turns out that actually that is, uh, that goes back a ways. Uh, this is from like 600 BC or so. It says uh, that a man is known by the company he keeps. I think it tells a lot about a person who they choose to hang out with and spend time with, invest time in. Uh, and there's kind of a truth to this that, uh, you know, even if you didn't know me, but say, you know, you knew a couple of my best friends and you knew my kids and you knew uh, my wife and and you knew my mom and dad, and, you know, that you probably might be able to know something, a little bit about who I am. And I think that's a little bit of the truth here, that a man is known by the company he keeps. You know, the people that are close to you, uh, they, they, they tell a lot about you. There's kind of a, a truth to that. And, uh, you know, there's some really good, uh, just practical examples of that. I remember, you know, years ago when I was, uh, I lived in the deep south for, uh, for a number of years. And, uh, and I went to school down there. And sometimes I would uh, call home where I would talk to an old friend. Or like, I remember in particularly talking to my little sister one day on the phone. And we were just having a normal conversation. And she's like, Scott, is that a draw? I'm hearing, are you picking up the southern draw? And I remember being like, no, no, I, I'm just, I talk like I always have, you know, and she's like, no, 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 that's a draw. No, it's not, you know, and it was like this whole thing. But it, it's true, you know, after a while of just being down there and being immersed in a sort of a, an accent, a little different way of talking, I had started to pick up a little bit of that, just like anybody, uh, anybody probably would. Uh, when I got married. When I started dating Anna, um, you know, I started to look a little bit different and act a little bit different as growing up and things were changing. One of the things you see, uh, is, this is really dark, but we're all wearing green and brown and just super like earthy brown, you know. And what's really funny is I, I well, in this picture, I was mm, maybe like uh, 29 or so. But when I started dating Anna, I was uh, like 24, 23. So I was really young. And the thing was, I really, honestly, I dressed like I was like, you know, in high school still. And I remember when I started dating Anna and started going to like some family Christmases and stuff that I started to get like some different shirts and just some different, you know, uh, Anna would pick me out some things to, and of course, like that's what I'm going to wear. And, uh, and I remember some of my roommates at the time being like, uh, Scott, you, you look like one of them now, you know? And I remember being like, no, dude, it's just me. But inside I was like, that's a good sign. I think it's a good sign. And um, so, you know, and you see that sometimes that like people who get married, um, you know, or even start dating, you know, uh, you just, you sort of, you know, birds of a, of, of a feather flock together. You just sort of start to pick up on each other's mannerisms. Uh, you know, uh, man, for a while, and, and I, we actually, like, we would both have, like, we would wear blue jeans and, like, just a normal t-shirt every day. And I remember when we first got married, uh, you know, she would always, like, borrow my shirts and stuff like that. She doesn't borrow shirts. She, she confiscates shirts and she keeps them. And, uh, you know, I, we'd come out and we'd be wearing, like, the same exact outfit. And it was like, okay, which one of us are going back to change because we're not going out in public like this? You know, the idea is that, you know, the people that were around a lot, 
they tend to influence us. We tend to impact one another. And so if you think about it, knowing Jesus, uh, it just makes so much sense that he begins to impact us. And he begins to change us and, and some of our mannerisms and some of the ways that we think. And, and, and even the core of just who we are begins to change a little bit. Today, we're talking about abiding with Christ. And, you know, that word just means to abide or like to remain with or to dwell with. But the idea is to be close to him and, and to follow him and to be with him. And what we see is that um, it impacts us. And, and so we're going to kind of use the first couple verses this morning to sort of unlock the rest of the verses. And so Jesus, he says to the Jews who had believed, and in the last section we had talked about that there are, are Jews who were starting to believe, and of course people are always asking questions about who is Jesus. Sometimes we see that people believe, but that's kind of called into question in the Gospel of John. And I think this discussion will kind of show that maybe they don't believe yet. Uh, but Jesus says to the Jews who had believed, uh, he says, if you abide or remain, if you dwell, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Man, and I think this is such a loaded couple verses, but just a few things to pick up on. Number one is, is believing or abiding in my word and abiding in the word is abiding in Jesus. It's abiding in his character. It's abiding in his teachings. It's abiding in his identity and everything, even all the more for us today. You know, in that day, they were still kind of waiting for the cross. And what Jesus is telling them is, if you, if you believe in me, keep following, keep abiding, keep, keep seeing what happens. And of course, they would have seen that Jesus would have been crucified. He would have risen from the grave. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, that world history would be different as the Spirit was released, um, you know, on the church. And uh, so he says, abide in my word, abide in my teachings, follow me, and then you are truly my disciples. Uh, and, and so, and then a couple things happen. Number one is that they'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, he says. And that is so much more even true for us today that as we abide in the word and as we abide in Jesus uh, as, as true disciples, that we know the truth and the truth sets us free. And that's kind of how I want to spend time today is talking about how the truth sets us free. And, and really what it sets us free to do is to abide with him. It's to dwell with him, to, to remain in him and to be close to him. Uh, to, to be healed by him, to be changed by him, to grow in him. You know, that is just something that every once in a while, you know, as I read and, 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 and things, I'm, I'm reminded that as believers, you know, we're always growing. He's always working on something in our lives. You know, we're, we're not, we're, we're, the idea in the New Testament isn't that, you know, you get saved and then you plateau until you die and then, then you grow. It's that we meet Jesus and things change. And we'll kind of see that in today's passage a little bit. And so, uh, you know, we're reminded in Scripture that there is bread that's important. Uh, and I'll never forget one writer putting it kind of this way. There's bread that's important, but there's bread that's even more important. There's water that you always go back to and, and you need it to survive. But then there's living water and it satisfies in a different way, in a, in a more nourishing way and in, even in an eternal way. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so I, I kind of want to just say this here, that abiding in the word, it's greater than, it's better than 
abiding in the world. And we kind of see those two things in John, that it's possible to abide in the world, but it's also possible to abide in the Word. And so that's what we're going to kind of spend our time talking about today, is really three ways um, as uh, the, the people objecting to Jesus here, as, as they kind of dig their heels in and they, you know, they don't need the freedom. They already have a father, Abraham. That means that God is their father. Um, and, and what we kind of see in this passage is Jesus does what he always does. And he responds to untruth with truth, and he elevates the conversation. And in doing so, he provides three excellent reasons that abiding in the word is so much better than abiding in the world. That's how we're going to spend our time today. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Uh, Lord, we do come to you uh, this morning, and uh, Lord, I just thank you for uh, the truth that was in some of the songs that we already got to sing this morning. Um, and Lord, I thank you for the truth that, that you say sets us free. And uh, today I pray for us as we look into your word, God, that you would, um, you would open our eyes and our ears, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that um, you would just heal our hearts, Lord. You would change our thinking and that you would teach us today, Lord. Uh, and, and that you would remind us that it's just better to abide in you. It's better to be with you, uh, Lord. And, and I pray that um, you would just accomplish that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first pushback, uh, because not everybody wants to abide in Jesus, uh, is, is this. They answered him, uh, we are the offspring of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. So how is it that you say you will become free? There's a movie called The Sandlot. Has anybody ever seen The Sandlot? There's the part where the kids, you know, they're like in their little hangout spot and there's a kid making a s'more. And uh, there's a new kid that comes in. And the kid making the s'more is like, hey, do you want a s'more? And the kid comes in and he's like, what's a s'more? And as he's roasting his marshmallows, he's like, a s'more, you know, eat it. And the other kid goes, wait, I, I don't understand. How, how can I have s'more if I haven't had any? And that's kind of what they're, <laughs> you know, kind of really an ancient dad joke if you think about it. But, uh, you know, really, um, but what you see is that Jesus says that there's freedom and they're like, Jesus, what do you mean we're already free? Which is kind of ironic because, uh, you know, the, the Jews kind of had a history of not being free. That's some of the really important stories are about not being free. But really what they're talking about is sort of being the free people of Abraham. There was a promise made to Abraham. and They were the offspring of Abraham, and, and he was their, their father. And so even when they were enslaved, even when they were oppressed, they never thought of themselves that way because they were always free through being the, uh, being, the ch- being the children of Abraham. But Jesus isn't talking about a political freedom. He's not talking about a cultural freedom. Uh, Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom. So in the next verse, he answers them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin is a slave to sin, is in need of freedom. And and so the first thing that we see about abiding in the word and abiding in Jesus is that we're set free from deception. There's a lot of people that just believe that there's no need for freedom. But scripture teaches that all have fallen short of the glory of God, uh, that we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our, our own way. 
And Jesus promises freedom from sin and, and the tyranny of sin, the enslavement to sin. We often don't think of sin as owning us or, or sin as, as ruling over us, but that's exactly what it does. And Jesus says it like this, a slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Man, another one of those verses we could just kind of spend all morning on. But quickly, you know, it's funny that when you're a slave, different people can own you. Uh, that you're not a permanent part of any house. And I think about even like some sins uh, and how they have ownership of people. For instance, I think about like greed and just wanting things all the time. And maybe you know some people like that. Maybe you're a little bit that, that way yourself. But you know how it is when you spend a large amount of money on something and you're like, oh, sweet. Now I just have everything I need. I'm not going to need anything else. I'm really pretty happy, I think, really in my life now. And then, you know, of course, a few months go by and then, uh, you know, it's not new anymore. And then there's something else. I think sometimes uh, this happens with idolatry. We're just, uh, people are just so quick to worship things. And I I think even quicker to worship people. I think you see this a lot when, uh, you know, people date a lot of people in a row, and it's like, it's like they're looking for something. It's like they're looking for something that doesn't really satisfy them. And I think there's nothing like a relationship killer, like looking at the other person to make you happy, and for that person to fulfill you, and that person to satisfy you. There's only one person that can satisfy you. There's only one person that can really make you happy. The older I get, the more I see the long-term damage of marriages where, where somebody has relied on somebody else to make them happy. And it never happens. And so, you know, I, I feel like that just gets more dangerous as, as, it, as it goes on. But we get enslaved to these ideas, and, and we need uh, these ideas. And so, so we can go from, from bounce around from one thing to the other thing to the one thing, and it can completely um, control us in our lives. But Jesus says that the Son remains forever. Jesus is the Son of God. He's of the house of God. And this is important for a couple reasons. For, for one, it's his identity. It's his status as the unique, eternal son of God. But the second reason it's good news is that he has the authority to set free. Jesus has the authority to set you free from whatever is oppressing and whatever is ruling over, especially when it comes to sin. Uh, last week, um, my family went to the farm and the kids were swimming and catching frogs and you know doing all the things you do on the farm and and I stayed home and was working doing some things around the house and uh, a lot of you guys know we just recently finished well mostly finished working on our house there's always something and uh, recently I've discovered this cool secret with my house that um, that if you open the front door and the back door uh, there's this breeze that comes through especially in the evening and, like, you can open all the windows, but right now the, the, screen, uh, the screen doors never got put back on. So there's just a ton of wind that comes through the house, and it feels great. And it's been super hot in the, in the days and the, the nights. We've still had, you know, pretty cool nights that are really refreshing. And so, uh, so there was one night that I was sitting on the couch, you know, just relaxing, just, you know, coming home. And I'm feeling that breeze, and I'm having a moment of serenity, and all of a sudden— this hummingbird flew straight into the living room. 
and it does this quick circle around. And I mean, hummingbirds are cute until they're in your living room. So I hit the deck like you do, right? And I'm like, what is this thing, right? And so it goes into our kitchen and that's kind of the back of the house. And if you look at our kitchen, there's like the back door, which is open. So there's a free passage out, but then there's a window. The window does not let you out because there's a screen. Our doors don't have screens right now, but the windows do. And so of course the hummingbird flies into the big open window and it gets caught in the screen. And it's kind of behind this linen curtain that is kind of semi-transparent. So I can see it flopping around in there and it's looking for a way out of the screen, but it can't get out of the screen. So I don't know what to do. I feel too old to call my dad for things like this, right? Uh, and so I do what you do and I call Anna and I'm like, maybe like the, the council at the farm can get, it's an animal, maybe this falls into like their expertise. And I'm like, well, what do you do, right? How do you get a hummingbird? How do you get out of your house? And how do you get out of your kitchen? And uh, so I like FaceTime. I mean, I like, I like FaceTime as I'm like ready to like, I don't know, attack this thing or run from it or something something. And um, I get patched through to Anna, and I'm like, there's a hummingbird in the kitchen. What do I do? And her sister's there, and her sister's name is Emily, and she is like, I don't know, the toughest, farmiest, coolest girl. And she's like, just grab a blanket and catch it. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, I I will not do that. Uh, I noticed getting closer to it, it had these long claws and it was very agile and I feared getting that close to it. So after a while, uh, you know, I I was FaceTiming and like all the kids were like looking and this thing's just flapping around and it would, you know, it would try to get up up here and then it would try to get uh, out down here and then over here and it would just go around this this huge window. And um, finally I worked up the courage to to sneak up and, and slowly undo uh, the, the screen a little bit. And I just kind of wedged it open. And uh, somehow, miraculously, I was not bitten or anything like that. And so I grabbed the, the broom, right? And I wedged it the rest of the, uh, rest of the way open. And the bird knew right what to do. Just, you know, went out and it was free. Um, and I think that's a little bit like, like sin and, and how deceptive it is that it, <laughs> just thinking about it that night, because I was thinking about the sermon, it's kind of all of us, we, we can get kind of trapped. And it's like you can kind of see freedom and you can kind of feel it and you know it should be possible to get it, but you can never get out. And really what you need is somebody else to kind of open the door for you. And that's what Jesus has done. The son remains forever. He's able to set free. He's able to open that door. And that's what he says. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I think that is, a, is something that Jesus says that is worth really looking at this morning, that Jesus says he will set you free. So you're able to walk the way you were meant to walk. You're able to fly the way you were meant to fly. You're able to be released and stop looking for satisfaction. Stop looking for hope. Stop looking for eternity in all of the wrong places. We need him to kind of open that door for us. And once he does, and once we do, and once we're walking and we're abiding and we're following and and we know him personally, things start to look different. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, for instance. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and you've become slaves to God because, because we're not just set free from everything, we're, we're set free to live as we're created to be. 
We're set free to live with our creator and and for him and to know him personally. And he changes us from from one thing into another thing. And he heals us. And and, and so this is slaves of God or slaves of righteousness. And he says that the fruit you get from this leads to sanctification. And it's end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, notice this about being a slave of God. Notice where this leads. Notice what this is like to be a slave of God, to to know him and to follow him and and to remain in him and abide in him and and to dwell with him today. Uh, Paul points out a couple things. One is this word sanctification. It's it's kind of to be set apart and to grow in holiness. And the idea is this, is that, that it's not like you're just saved and then you live your life and you die and you're with him forever. He's working on us now. He knows us now. He's changing us from one thing to another thing now. And he's always making us more and more like we're meant to be. We're image bearers. And so uh, this process is called sanctification. I was uh, reading somebody who was very helpful on the subject this week. And and they kind of reminded of, of kind of two parts to it. The important part, the main part, is God's work in our life. That he is producing uh, fruit in us. Uh, He sends the Spirit, and the Spirit is producing fruit in us. We have these hearts that used to be really stony. They didn't listen to the words of God. They didn't like the words of God. But what happens? They become tender. They become responsive to God's word. Uh, We begin to hear things and to see things. uh, And our lives begin to change. The Christian life is all about change. It's all about growing and knowing Jesus more and more uh, into the way we were meant uh, to be. That's sanctification. Uh, and, and, and where does it lead? And, and what happens at the end? And, and that's the, the second thing here, and it's eternal life. And so our lives are really all about getting ready to dwell with God forever. And he's making us ready each and every day for that now. We're set free to do that now. We don't have to live under the the enslavement and the powerlessness, the tyranny of sin anymore. We are freed from that in Christ. Uh, So Jesus says that, uh, or I'm sorry, John says later that uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because uh, because he has been born of God. So there's just kind of this idea again that when we abide in the Lord and we remain in him and we know him, something happens and it begins to change us from acting the way we used to act when we were slaves to sin to acting in a new way. That's why there's this call in the New Testament to take off the old and to put on the new set in a lot of uh, different ways. So Jesus closes this section by saying, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they think they're the children of Abraham. And as this develops, uh, Jesus will give them some more things to think about. But the first reason it's, it's greater to abide in the word than it is in the world is because we're freed from the deception and the slavery of sin. He sets us free from that. We have new lives, uh, and it's, it's different. But not everybody wants that. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, the, the, the Jews talking to 
Jesus, uh, this day, uh, did not want spiritual freedom at all. They were free enough. Uh, Their second objection has to do with the fact about why they're already free, and it's because they're the children of Abraham. So they answered him, Abraham is our father. But Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You know, Abraham is uh, a, a great person in the Bible. Uh, there are many things that he did, but he was known as somebody that followed God and obeyed God and believed in God and had faith in God. That is not what they are doing. And, uh, but they are doing a lot of things. And we've observed that in the Gospel of John. They're really good uh, at keeping some of the rules. Uh, they're good at making up some rules. Uh, they're good at judging things. And they've filled their lives up with these types of things. We see in this passage, they're very proud of their heritage. They're very proud of their identity. They're very proud of who they are. And they have filled their lives up with that type of thing. That's what religion does. It takes all of your time. It gives you credit for all sorts of things. And it can fill up your calendar. It can fill up your heart. It can fill up your mind. Uh, But it won't satisfy. It won't set free. Uh, Hebrews speaks of Abraham this way. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was was going. Abraham, uh, you can see, uh, even though he wasn't perfect, even though he was just a man, uh, you can see that Abraham has faith and he believes. Uh, Hebrews in this chapter goes on to talk about when he was tested to offer up Isaac, his only son, the son of promise, he goes to do it because he believes God. He has faith in God. Abraham was obedient. He, he listened. He responded and obeyed faithfully. Somebody else that had a lot of the same credentials that the Pharisees thought were so important was Paul. I remember that. And, um, In uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul lists some really impressive things about himself as a Jew. He was a Pharisee, circumcised on the eighth day. He was part of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he zealously persecuted the church. He was somebody they really would have been uh, proud of and impressed with. But when Paul met Jesus, everything changed. And here's how he thought about all of those things. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Nothing else mattered. Uh, That's the thing about abiding and remaining and knowing Jesus is that it satisfies and sets free in a way that that nothing else really does. It's the living water that really satisfies. It's the bread of life that really fills you up. And that's not what they were doing. So Jesus says, but now you seek to kill me. A man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. It says, you are doing the works your father did. We're going to find out more about their father in a minute. It's going to be harsh. I'll warn you. Uh, But, you know, uh, it's interesting to me that uh, the the people talking to uh, Jesus just saw 
no need for the freedom. They saw no need for the call to follow him because their lives were already all filled up with other things that were good enough to them. Uh, I've been thinking a little bit about snack foods in this way, in that it's possible to be filled up with, with snack foods, but you're never actually full and satisfied. Uh, I've seen this, Anna and I have seen this a lot lately, that it's really important to fill up with the right things. And that when you don't fill up with the right things, sometimes there are awful consequences for that. Uh, and I've seen that a lot. So I don't know, I've never snacked as much as I have in recent years. And, uh, you know, one reason is just three kids. You just have more food in the house. Uh, my boys are both, like, at the same time, getting to this uh, age where they're not, like, picking just little pieces of food all day. They're, like, throwing down, and they're eating a lot. And they're hungry, like, all the time. And sometimes, like, we'll sit down, and Theo will eat, like, close to as much food of me as me. And I don't know physically how it's possible, but there's a lot of snacks in the house sometimes. Uh, although that's changed. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But the other thing is just Costco. Man, it is so easy to have a lot of snacks when uh, you have a Costco membership uh, and they come in like these big boxes and they are so tempting and delicious and sugary. But you know what we started to see was that they don't really fill you up. And in fact, you can eat so many snacks And you can be so satisfied with snacks that you skip dinner and you don't really eat much dinner. And that starts to have an impact on you. When you're all filled up on sugar and chemical, uh, it starts to come out. Hypothetically, somebody might get slapped. Somebody's hair might get pulled. Somebody might have a complete hair down, uh, meltdown, and and completely lose their emotions because a decision's been made that, that they're not ready. Like, they're not ready to go to bed or they're not ready to take a bath. And of course, I'm talking about myself, but snacks have an impact on you when you're all filled up with the wrong stuff. And that was the Pharisees. They were all filled up with the wrong stuff. There was no room for the right stuff. There was no room for the good things. And that's the thing about abiding in Christ is that he's got to be first. And there is this pull from our flesh nature. There's this pull from the world. And I'll tell you something that it's deceitful. There's a deceitfulness even to to good things. I was talking to Gary about the whole snacks thing because I've been thinking about snacks a lot because uh, I'm cutting them out in my life. And uh, man, Gary was like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny too because you can, you can look at snacks, like the packaging, and they look healthy, right? And then you read the ingredients and they're not. You know, it's like, gosh, you pick up a, a bag of grapes, uh, you know, grape gummies or something, and you're like, well, where's the grapes? You know, where's the nutrition from these things? Well, it's not there. It's just all a facade. There's a deceitfulness to uh, just religion alone. There's a deceitfulness to our own works. There's a a deceitfulness to the good things in the world without Christ. Because not only does it not really set us free, because it's powerless, but it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill us up with the right stuff. And I think there's, uh, it's possible It's not natural. It's not the way it should be. Uh, But, you know, that we can go through our lives as believers full but starving. You know, I think you see that like in Hebrews 5 where, you know, he says, you you just need milk. You're not even ready for solid food. They were believers that had just plateaued. They were starving for nutrition. They were starving for growth. And that was kind of the Pharisees. Uh, I think they were starving for something real of actual substance and not just, uh, you know, their own righteousness and their own works, which don't amount to anything. 
Anyway, well, a third reason they push back and, and um, uh, you know, and, and kind of focus on the wrong is they just simply dig in their heels. And so they've said they don't need freedom. And he said, you do need freedom. They've said, Abraham is our father. Jesus has said, doubtful, you look nothing like Abraham. Uh, and then here's the third. Uh, they've challenged that. And they said, uh, they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus, we don't need your freedom. Jesus, we already have Father Abraham. We are the chosen people. We already, we're part of the kingdom. And you know what? You can't sit there and say that we're illegitimate children. He really is our, our father. And what that means is we really are sons of, of God. He is our father. And Jesus, uh, again, kind of elevates the conversation. But a, a third thing that abiding in Christ kind of heals us of and, and, and is greater than abiding in the world is it heals us from our own callousness. You just notice in that passage how the, the Pharisees that are talking to Jesus, they just dig their heels in. No, no, no. And Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God. And I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. These are all things we've talked a lot about in John, uh, that Jesus is from the Father. He's come into the world. But he's, uh, and he says, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. They couldn't bear the truth. They couldn't bear the word. They, they just didn't have eyes that could see and a heart that could feel those things. They were calloused. So Jesus explains about their father. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice a few things just about the devil and just also about the systems of sin that he implements into the world even today. See that he was a murderer from the beginning. I mean, this goes back to, you know, Cain and Abel. I mean, just in the very beginning, you just see the murderousness. And, and we've read about this several times in John. There's this plot to kill Jesus. They're looking for a way to do it. He doesn't stand in the truth. You know, there's, that, that's, there's kind of lies from the world. There's a voice from the world. And sometimes they sound good, but it, the, the devil doesn't stand in the truth. And, and so uh, kind of as this looks more like the people talking to Jesus than being sons of God. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And that's the thing. There is a deceitfulness about sin. There's a deceitfulness about being stuck in it. There's a deceitfulness, and, and it, it, it uh, after a while, ends up in callousness, being entrenched in your own ways. It would be like if that bird just settled into the screen and said, this is life after all. This is, this is it for me. And Jesus says, but because I am the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And that's what callousness does. Um, I've played guitar for close to 30 years, uh, and uh, I just don't feel anything in these fingers anymore. They're all calloused, right? And so sometimes I, I touch things, and it kind of freaks me out sometimes that I just feel nothing. 
but what Jesus does um, is he begins to heal the callousness. And we'll see this in a minute. Jesus closes, his, uh, closes the passage for today by saying this. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And this is, this is harsh words. This is a harsh statement. In fact, um, I think somebody said it well, F.F. Um, F. Bruce, he says it this way, a clear and more damning conclusion is hardly conceivable. And yet the reader cannot forget that these opponents of Jesus, intentionally unnamed in this verbal exchange, are the epitome of those Jesus came to save and the object of God's love. Um, you know, he points to John 3, 16, which just says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that's really the good news of the gospel is that people who are trapped in sin and have calloused hearts, which was all of us at one point in time, um, have hope to abide in Jesus. And there's an invitation here that Jesus extends to abide in and to follow and to remain because there's life, there's satisfaction, there's hope and freedom in him. And this has been uh, a longstanding um, plan of God. This is from Ezekiel, and he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from uh, you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What does God do with callousness? What can God do with even the most calloused person? He removes a heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. Uh, Another version says it this way, that he uh, will take out a stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And that's what it looks like to abide in Christ. That's what it looks like to, to be in the word and to, to dwell in the word is what he cultivates. What the spirit does in us is, is he develops this heart in us that is tender and it's responsive. When it hears things, it obeys. It, it yields to it, it bows to. Because there is a master who sets free. There is a shepherd who leads beside still waters. And this is good news. Ezekiel continues. It says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be very careful to keep my laws. And this ends up looking different. Just like we said in the beginning, that the people you spend a lot of time with uh, influence you. That's what had certainly happened to John. First John, he says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And I love this. So we have come to know and to believe that the love, uh, that the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. Uh, And that's what Jesus does, is he heals callousness. It's a third reason that abiding in the word is so much. I mean, it's just just not a strong enough statement. It's just so much greater than abiding in the world, is that there's healing even for callous hearts. Um, You know, one person I was reading this week, um, you, you know, was talking about the conflicting 
voices in our lives. Uh, You know, a lot of times, you know, especially those of us that know Jesus and have placed our faith in him, we know uh, the peace that he gives. Uh, We know the assurances that we read in the word, and maybe you don't, and I invite you to, to jump into the word and into some fellowship. But there's so many different voices uh, that we can be exposed to. And you know what? They, they all live on the TV. They live in books. Uh, you know, they live in the wrong kind of voices that we can all be exposed to in day-to-day life. But no more than on our phones. Uh, man, there are just so many uh, of the wrong types of voices on our phones. And sometimes when there's a lot of different messages coming in that they can cause conflicts. They, the, the world uh, is always reaching us, and there's those, uh, the, that flesh nature that can easily start to listen to them. But the people we spend the most time around impact us significantly. And so today, uh, there is a, a, a call and an invitation, maybe for some of you today that are here, and maybe you're like, you know, I'm all filled up today. My schedule's pretty full. I do a lot of good things, but I'm starving. I am starving for something that can really satisfy uh, and, and, and really uh, lead somewhere. Uh, maybe some of you are here today and uh, this is just refreshing to you because you know of the fellowship that comes uh, from Jesus. And you know what it's like to have your house built on the rock instead of the sand. Um, uh, today, as we wind down our time, uh, I wanted to invite you to spend some time before the great shepherd. And just to spend some time even now abiding in him. Maybe there's a lot of voices uh, in your life today. Maybe you're like that bird that's looking for freedom and there's just something that just, it has a hold of you. And, and you need released from that. And we're reminded in scripture that Jesus sets free. And he can set free and he will set free. And um, So I want to invite you as we close our time, uh, we're going to take communion this morning. And I just thought as we're talking about abiding and remaining and being with the Lord, um, that this was a really appropriate way to end. Uh, And if you are a believer, I want to invite you to take this with us. Let me read this first real quick. Uh, It says, uh, this is Paul. He says, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, you know, let me pray for us. And then I invite you, if you've placed your faith in Christ, uh, the band's just going to play for a little bit. But just to spend time uh, sort of sitting before the throne this morning, just to spend some time, even right now, dwelling in the presence of God. And uh, when you're ready, take the elements. And then we're going to close our time together this morning with the song, Let Me pray for us quickly. Jesus, we thank you um, for what you've done for us. We thank you that you do set free, Lord, uh, and that you invite us to abide with you, but that you're always with us. 
And Lord, you're steadfast in how faithful you are to us. You're the perfect abider. And Lord, today, I just pray that you would draw us near into your presence, Lord. Father, that even now, you would bring to mind anything that's hindering, that's distracting, and keeping us from abiding in the word. Lord, we want to be those people who abide in the word this week. We want to be those people who are depending on you and being satisfied in you and growing the way that you want us to, Lord. And even right now, Lord, I pray that you would just start to uh, lead our hearts into this week and that you would bless our time together this morning.